Good morning. Welcome to Valley Hope. Happy Sunday to you. I invite you to stand with us as we begin our time of worship together. We're going to read a call to worship. It's out of Psalm 113. I'm going to have a part. You're going to have a part. It's going to be great. <laughs> with my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. When my spirit faints within me, 
you know my way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see. There is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Bring me out of prison that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. Make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this morning, for the opportunity to worship, Lord. God, we're here for you and you alone. God, we bring all our baggage from this week, God, all of our, our cares and concerns that you're well acquainted with, Father. We lay them at your feet this morning. We just want to sing of how awesome you are, proclaim your goodness, God, and your sovereignty and your majesty, Lord. And as we sing songs and hear the reading of your word, take the sacraments, God, may we just embrace and soak in all that you are, Father. And thank you for this time. Thank you for this space. It's for your wonderful name we pray. Amen. For all of us bringing baggage this morning, the things of the world that have kind of weighed us down throughout the week, this song is a welcome and an introduction to know that God walks in front of us and alongside of us with those. We don't fight those battles alone. God is with us. Let's sing the song. It goes like this. When all I see is a battle, you see my victory. When all I see is a mountain, you see a mountain. Blue. And as I walk,
Hey, good morning. Hey, my name is Amy Berry, and I am sorry I sound like this. I was with middle school kids all last week um, and at Wildlife Camp. Thank you guys for praying for me, um, for Sam High, for Becky Pruitt. We all got to go, and if you need to hear stories about it, please come find me. There are lots to tell, or you can ask Ellen Swan. She was there. Um, and it was a blast, but thank you. The name of Jesus was lifted up, um, and it was amazing. I could cry thinking about it, so I'm not going to do that right now. Um, we are going to do a little bit of a different prayer time, and it is going to start with, you have to come up here just a little bit. Today marks, um, I think, the last day of Jason leading, Jason Lukowitz leading worship for us at Valley Hope right now. Um, come up here so I can see you, so you're not in my, huh? Sorry, I know. <laughs> he is going to be filling in still, we hope and we pray, but we say this because he has been a gift to our church, and he's not going anywhere, but he's going to be using his gifts um, and using that time as an elder and to um, shepherd our church family and to serve in different ways. And we are sad to lose this up here because of the way that he really brings us into the presence of God. It is a gift. 
Um, and so we want to spend some time just praying gratitude for him and thanking him and his family. And I know Wendy is over there, but you guys can tell her thank you. Because it is a sacrifice for the families too. And they lift up and they pray for um, him as he gets to lead us in this ministry. Um, and so we're going to pray for two things, gratitude and then for the using of your gifts. Jason is an amazing example, and I get to say this because I have the microphone, um, of someone that uses their gifts to serve well, the, I mean, he does a ton in our whole valley, but he has used this gift that he was given to serve and to bring glory to the name of Jesus. And he does it literally <laughs> by singing. And maybe you guys are like, yeah, I can't do that. I get it. Um, but one thing that I want us to do in our prayer time is, so what is your gift? I mean, what is God calling you to do? And we know we're not always great as a church of um, bringing people up in that. Um, and we know that that may have been something that the church has not done well um, in your life in the past. But as a staff, I know we in a session, we are committed um, to doing that and to walking with you in that because people have walked with us. And so that is what we're going to go into our prayer time. So thank you, Jason. We are grateful. Um, so if you guys would kind of, would you stretch out your hands towards Jason? I know, I know, I know, no, it's fine. It's not like we're worshiping you. We're just thankful. It's us saying thank you. <laughs> um, Jesus, thank you so much for Jason Lukowitz. Thank you for his gifts that he shared here vulnerably, that he was transparent. He shared his love for music. He shared his music the words that you gave him, he shared with us. And we just pray a blessing over him and his family. Would you restore him in the ways he is tired? Would you show him the other ways um, that he can serve and give his gifts away as he leads other people to give their gifts um, to this valley so that your name may be known? Now I pray that you guys would put your hands on your own hearts God, would you show us what are our gifts? What have you called us to do? Jesus, we just say to you corporately that we want to serve you with the way you have made us. Maybe that's through the gift of hearing from you in prayer. Maybe that's teaching children, hanging out with youth. Maybe it's the gift of mercy, the gift of giving. The gift at looking at what comes next. God, we pray that you would be loud in our ears and strong in our hearts. And would you give ourselves eyes to see the needs before us and how you have equipped us perfectly to meet them. You are good to us, Jesus. Thank you for this church family. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Thanks. Um, and any time, please. Tell Jason, thank you. Any of our worship team, um, they serve so tirelessly, and they really um, work hard up here um, 
to give us and bring us before before Jesus and um, minister to us in that way. Um, a couple of announcements. We have an upper elementary hangout for third to fifth graders today. It's the last one of the summer, and it is going to be um, on the church playground or maybe inside if the weather um, doesn't cooperate from 3 to 4.30. And so we would love any third to fifth graders to come hang out. Um, and I think we're bringing Sunday school back for them in the fall, which we look forward to. Um, prayer walks. We have had those, and that has been a real um, great blessing for those who have participated. Our last one is on um, August 2nd at 6.30. We'll meet at the church, and then we'll kind of go where God leads. And it is really, we are seeking God's heart for our church and for our community. We want to know, hey, what do you want us to do? And we are trying to hear from him in this um, season right now. And so even if you can't be there, please join us in praying. And when God tells you something, let us know. We want to know those things. We want to know um, what um, he is doing in our community and where he wants us to go next. Um, and kids are welcome to that. I want to say that that's a great way to teach them um, to pray. And it's not it's not scary or weird or anything. It is really an awesome thing to do as a church. The youth trip is next Saturday to Monday. There is still some spots. They're doing a little camping adventure. Um, and if you are interested in that, you can talk to Ricky, or I'm sure you can talk to me, and I'll tell you to talk to Ricky. Um, and then last thing is save the date for our end of summer pool party at Camp Crestridge for girls. That's going to be on August 15th. You do not have to swim, but there's going to be a potluck, and hopefully it's a beautiful pool up on top of a mountain. More details to come, but we would love to kind of um, end summer that way together, and that is August 15th, sometime in the afternoon, evening. More to come soon. Um, today we have a great privilege to hear from um, Rick Sawyer. He is currently serving at Riceville Valley Community Church, um, and he has been kind of all over the place. He's originally from Asheville and has served as a missionary in Spain, Ecuador, and Colombia, and then um, was in Miami for 25 years and headed up this organization, awesome ministry called Hope for Miami. And he, we have the great honor to hear from him today as he um, brings God's word to us. So welcome, Rick. Okay. It's my pleasure to be here. It really is. And uh, to be back in Asheville, my wife, Yvonne, and I, we transferred or transitioned back up here from Miami. She's not feeling well, but my lovely sister, Claudia, is here joining us. And it's, it's really good to be here. And uh, nice to be back in Asheville. And um, thank you for the privilege of being able to share with you. I want to start real quickly by asking a question. How many of us have had an aha moment? Sometimes they're called epiphanies, where you saw something or you heard something or experienced something and you said, my life is never going to be the same. It was just that impactful. Think about that a second. Has that ever happened to you? Because I can think of three times that it occurred to me. One was when, to be honest with you, I was going through a really tough challenge in my life. And God made it plain. The gospel, Rick, isn't just telling people God loves you and, and read the Bible. It would be like a little lady 
down the street who we want to reach out to as a church and help her because her mom is maybe at the facility out here. It's word and deed. I didn't fully understand that. Second thing that happened to me was when in studying and the listening, I began to understand a or received, as I were, a pair of lenses that helped me see the gospel story in a way that allowed me to view it much more biblically. It's called the four-chapter gospel. I'm going to unpack, unpack that today with you very quickly. The third thing that made such an impact on me is when I began to learn and study and talk with folks that were delving and taking a deeper dive into what God's Word teaches about vocation, vocare, the Latin, our work. And so that's what I want to talk about with us today. And those last two points are going to help us. But before I get started, you say, what's this four-chapter gospel thing? Well, it's creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Perhaps you've heard this. I don't know. But I will say this, that, well, Rick, if you've got 66 chapters in the Bible, what's this about? Let me ask a question before we get started. What would you think? We're friends. And we're going to go out to Biltmore where the big theaters are. And I'll say, hey, man, let's go see a movie. It starts at 1.30, but let's get there by 2.30. We're good. I'll just meet you there at 2.30. Or suppose I said to you, I've got the best book, Priscilla, that I just read. I want you to, here's a copy of it, but just go ahead, save some time, start in the third chapter. And you're sitting here, what? Or if I, we're sitting in the movie, okay? There's, and we're just on the edge of our chairs, and there's 35 minutes to go. I say, come on, let's go. Let's beat the crowd out. Or if I said, Priscilla, don't worry about that last couple of chapters. You got the gist of it. What would you think of me? The elevator doesn't reach the top, right? What would be the problem? Well, we wouldn't know what's going on. We would be confused. We would start out, what do you mean we need to leave? Or what do you mean? We wouldn't know where the author is taking us, where the producers. We would be completely lost. We would be absolutely, we would miss the big picture. And this is an illustration of something I want to share with you that I said I didn't fully understand all the time. I'm not trying to come in here with heresy, but I do want to challenge us as we talk about as Presbyterians to embrace the whole counsel of God. That's what I want to challenge us, all of us. Now, we know that the Bible, and so what, what, what we're going to talk about is rethinking work. But in order for us to do, I want to talk about why. What's this thing about the four-chapter gospel? Now, we know that the Bible begins in Genesis 1, and it ends in the last chapter 22 of Revelation. We know that. And it takes us from the beginning of God's good creation through the fall. Adam and Eve blew it. But then Jesus comes to bring redemption, and at the end of Revelation, we find out that there's going to be a restoration of all things. Oftentimes, that's not talked about. So think about it in four chapters. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. That's going to be, and here's the good news. 
up to the last, say, 200 years, the Church of Jesus Christ from its beginning captured and understood. Yeah, you start in Genesis 1 and you end in the book of, of Revelation. There are four chapters, if you will. But unfortunately, within the last 200 years, unknowingly, unwittingly, unfortunately, the church began to sort of focus not so much on chapters 1 and 4, but the second chapter, man's fall, which is true, and redemption chapter 3, Jesus saves us from our sin. And that's all true, absolutely. But the problem is, if... If we just limit our understanding to the two middle chapters, we're like that little illustration that I gave you. Where you'd say, well, wait, 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 what, what's going on? If we start in Genesis chapter 3, then what about, or if we end in just with the redemption and we don't, you see my point? So that's the problem with just having a two-chapter gospel or just focusing. And I'm, like I said, I'm not trying to stir things up. But so here's what I want to do real quickly. Hopefully, we will see that work is a main thread through where I'm going to go. We're going to go very quickly through this, so hang on. But here's what we're going to do. We want to see work as a thread or vocation, whether it's volunteer or whatever, as a main thread through these chapters. And here's what I want us to do. We're going to reframe. We want to refine or redefine and restore work. We're going to reframe it quickly. We're going to redefine what we often understand of work, and we're going to restore work. And I'm borrowing some teaching from a friend of mine named Tom Nelson. He's a I started a ministry out in Kansas City called Made to Flourish, and I've been involved with that for many years in Miami. I'm going to bring it to Asheville, too. But here's the thing. Quickly, in Genesis chapter 1, Genesis reveals uh, that, that God's work was created good. It reads in Genesis 1, in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth. And then verse 31, God looked at everything, and it was good. We get that from the very beginning. We get that from the very beginning. Listen to this quote. God created all things to be in a, listen, in a beautiful, harmonious, interdependent, knitted, web relationship to one another. And he says, this webbing together of God and man with all creation to create universal flourishing and wholeness is what the Hebrew prophets refer to as Shalom. When God created everything good, that's the way things were meant to be. Shalom. Shalom just doesn't mean peace. It's this flourishing of all things that God has created. Genesis 1.26 said, And God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the cattle, over the earth, and every creeping thing upon the earth. Wow. Here we learn. The, the word is mandate or a calling. God called Adam and Eve and with them us to be stewards. To take everything we have, everything we are in every moment of our lives to co-labor with him 
for the love and care of our community and all things. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. I certainly had until I was challenged. God gave Adam and Eve a mandate and it's meant to be humanity's calling and it has never been rescinded. That's one of the reasons that we're here on earth is not just for our own purposes. So the point is we, we want to reframe and re-understand maybe our notion of what we're here to do. Just to get a paycheck, we're going to talk about that. But what we want to do is understand that as his stewards, he is entrusted. Everything we are, everything we have, every moment for his sovereign purposes. And that's, that's what I want us to capture. And we see from the very beginning in creation, that's what work was supposed to do. But then, of course, in Genesis 3, what do we read? Where are you, Adam? Well, I was naked, and I hid. What? God knew what was going on, but he said, what is this you have done? And, of course, he blames Eve, and she blames the serpent. And then he says in verse 17, Cursed is the ground because of you, and toil you shall eat its yield all the days of your life. So what has happened? Shalom has ruptured and ruined. Can you imagine for Adam and Eve, the Garden of Eden was still not enough? Sometimes God challenges me with that statement because it's oftentimes when I'm ungrateful, Lord, what you've given to me, is it not enough? And so, unfortunately, and as we know, they decided to redefine for themselves what was good and evil. They rejected God's plan, and as a result, the relationship with the Lord, with each other, and even the environment was destroyed. This is that second chapter that we're familiar with called the fall. This is not the way God intended things to be, but you know what? It's the way things are today. Busted, broken. We don't need to go into all that's happened in the last few years or in the last year to see we're in a hot mess. But we get a hint in Genesis 3.15 that God's got a plan. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Which takes us to chapter 3 now. Follow me. We're in redemption. We've gone creation, fall. Now we're into redemption. That third chapter. Christ, the promised Messiah, is coming. Matthew 4.17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come. John 18.36. My kingdom is not of this world. Christ, the promised Messiah has come to usher in his kingdom. Have you, how many of you been watching The Chosen? You know what that is? Have you, have you heard of it? If you haven't, you need to find out about it because it does a great job of showing us how clueless the disciples were because they can't figure this guy out and neither could anybody else. But this is where we live right now And if the kingdom, if we were living out the way Jesus meant, that's the way things could be. 
we're living in the redemption phase and God's calling us to model what the way things could be. God calls us to, to a watching, before a watching world, to model what the coming kingdom looks like. I'm going to do something a little different. We've seen creation. We've seen the fall. We're in redemption. There's a coming kingdom that we're going to talk about. Now, let me ask a question. How many of you have ever been to Baskin-Robbins? Raise your hand. You may not be used to somebody acting crazy like this, but I want to see you because I want to, some of we're going to wake up here. So you walk into Baskin-Robbins, and what do you find? How many flavors? At least. It looks like it's 131. But you walk in and like, wow. Where do you begin? How do you get started? You know, if you're like me, I don't know. So what did they give you? You ever seen one of these? They give you a pink spoon. And why do they do that? They give you a sample of what's in that bucket, right? Stay with me. Because there's a point here. What's this guy? Where where did he come from? (laughs) Folks, listen. We are... Living in a time, if ever there was a time for people that need hope and it need to understand that this is not all that there is, we with our lives are, with everything we are and with everything we have, are to be those who live and model what it means to live under the Lordship of Christ and to give a foretaste of the coming kingdom. What this means is, Y'all are pink spoons. If you follow Jesus, Priscilla, honey, you're a pink spoon, baby. That's yours. Okay. Finally, we go to restoration. We're going to move through this. Zechariah 14.9 said, The Lord will be king over the entire earth, and on that day there will be one Lord and his name only. The only name. Revelation 21 one, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the new heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Christ is going to come to bring in the fullness of his kingdom. Oh, yeah. And he's going to restore the perfect shalom creation kingdom that he started. It's a mess right now. And we don't have time to unpack this. We've got to keep moving. But the fact is, God doesn't, doesn't in Scripture, say it's not, he's not going to just blow everything up. Somehow he's going to renew it. I don't know what that's going to look like. None of us really do. But the fact of the matter is, we will live and reign with him forever in a new heavens and a new creation. Don't know what that's going to look like. But think of creation and restoration as bookends. Maybe I'm hopefully giving you an idea of a way to look at Scripture a little bit Differently, So the point is we need to reframe work and see it through the lenses of the entire of Scripture. But the second point is we need to redefine work. We reframe it. It's everything we do, but we need to redefine it. So let me ask a question. How do we usually think of work or volunteer or, or how do we think of it? I owe, I owe, 
So off to work I go. And that's true. Yeah, I've got to pay the bills. got to eat. I get it. But one thing I want us to understand that, uh, is that when Adam and Eve were called to work, it wasn't as much compensation as it was contribution. Yeah, we have to eat. We have to. But it's not. Our work shouldn't be defined just as what we do to get a paycheck. I never fully understood that. But from cradle to grave, listen to this quote. We were created to contribute to God's good world. The big picture. And he describes our work is to be a main way that we accomplish what he wants. He wants to work. Now, we don't worship our work. That's idolatry. But he is going to use everything that you do, your volunteer, taking care of other people, every moment of every day, taking care of parents, taking care of kids. That's work. That's bocari. That's those are, and I know a lot of us, I know we understand that. Some of us are retired. How many are retired? Raise your hand. Well, we have another sermon that I put over it. At, at Riceville said, it, instead of retire, we're going to refire. <laughs> we're going to refire. Because, you know, somebody give him something to do. He's driving me crazy. I mean, uh, I get it. But whether we're volunteering, I mean, we got folks in our at Riceville Church that volunteer over at the, at the thrift store at the at children's home. You ever been over there? What a great place. So when we refer to work, we're including everything that occupies our time. Everything. And if, if we must get hold of this truth. So now we got to restore work. As we said a minute ago, one of the big problems with operating from a two-chapter gospel is we don't see the big picture. We don't have a full view of what God's up to. And, and here's a problem. The two-chapter gospel tells us what we're saved from, the penalty of sin, but it doesn't tell us what we're saved for. A lot of folks think we're just going to... Staying around and just hang around in heaven. No, 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 no. There's a purpose that God is saving us for. Yes, thank God he saved us from our sins and from the punishment of sin. But what has he saved us for? What has he saved us for? It's important that we understand that we're to be those pink spoons. MLK said, Martin Luther King, I love this quote from him about what work is supposed to be and how we're supposed to do it. Brother King said, if a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep those streets like Michelangelo painted or that Bo or how Beethoven created music or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all of the hosts of heaven and earth will pause to say, here lived, lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. What a quote. So we need to reframe and redefine and restore work. Now quickly, got to move. Here's four reasons. I'm going to run through this. Why work matters. First, and I don't know if you ever thought about this, because I hadn't, but work, whatever we're doing, and we're, again, we're not talking about just in the marketplace, wherever we are, this is one of the main ways we worship God. 
And I know a lot of us would agree with that. And just as we've seen, it's a big mistake in our failure to understand God's intentions for our work. And one of the most glaring examples of not understanding this is what they call the sacred or the secular divide, the gap between Sunday and the rest of the week. I'll give you an example. Let's suppose, uh, I don't know if anybody here is named Lucy or something, but let's suppose we're talking to Lucy. And this, I'm going to tell you right now, this is how I thought for a long time. So Lucy, tell us about your spiritual life. Oh, well, um, okay. So I guess I spend several Mo day, uh, morning, 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 let me think about this. Yeah, in the morning, I'm spending time with my devotions. I have family devotions. And then I go to online church for an hour. And, uh, oh, I have a Bible study. Where I'm gonna, and so that's about four and a half hours a week. Pretty good. And the rest of the week, I'm kind of doing my thing. What has she done? One word is bifurcation. She has divided her, quote, spiritual life from the rest of her life. Scripture doesn't allow that. But how often do we do that? It's as if our effort to keep the Sabbath day holy, we're forgetting the wait a minute. Wait a minute. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, do all to the glory of God. But how often do we miss, lose sight of that? We must, you know, we don't ever worship our work. That's the idolatry. But we need to understand that one of the main ways we glorify and worship the Lord is through all of these endeavors. Don't ever lose sight of that, friends. There, sometimes people look down on folks that have, quote, more meaning, menial activities. And I could give you some stories of the last two weeks where I was and what I was doing, where I had a new realization of the appreciation for truck drivers and people that change sheets in the hotel and people... On and on and on and on and on. Think of it like this. That worship is not where we go on Sunday or simply where we meet with the Lord or the Bible reading. It's all to the glory of God. Or put another way, God's desire is that our work with and for him and the worship of him be seamless. No Sunday to Monday the rest of the week gap. His aim for us is Christ-likeness. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn of many brethren. Listen to this quote. God's desire for us as his elect is that by his grace we would be conformed to the image of Christ. The thoughts, the words, the actions that Jesus displayed in his life and ministry serve as a model for how we glorify God in our lives. And that's what it means to be conformed. Here's the point. Because we spend the majority of our waking hours serving God, we are not primarily formed into the image of Christ through just that devotional time or here at Sunday or during a quiet time. God uses the day-to-day -day experiences. And I know, I guarantee you right now, a lot of us are sitting here and you're on empty. Let's be honest. It's been a grueling few months. I get it. 
We're all there. And God desires to use one another in our lives to encourage each other, to mold us into Christ. Iron sharpens iron. And it's even in those difficult times and the challenges that we're going through where God will mold us, and we know this, and, and allow us to trust him. Here's a good quote to take away with us. We are called to have a devotional life, not just a devotional time. Did you get that? God calls us to devotional lives, not just devotional time. So, third reason work matters, gospel demonstration. See, these different places where God, you're volunteering, the workplace, taking care of family, taking care of somebody, all these places where this is where we're with people that we generally might not be around. That's where we're around most of the folks. It's these venues where we are able to model the gospel, to be those pink spoons. Think about it. And I know you all understand this. Much of, much of this is, is, uh, is un understood, but we are to live as pink spoons wherever we are, modeling God's goodness and what's to come. And then finally, another reason work matters is gospel proclamation. Very quickly, very quickly. Sharing the gospel is the privilege that we have in our jobs, in our workplaces, but sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes we are, and, 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 and I'll be honest with you, I think it's going to be harder and harder for us in our society possibly to follow Christ. That's another series of sermons but we're ambassadors for our king, including when we're uh, with each other. Wherever we are, we are to model and model out the gospel. So very quickly as we close, how do we faithfully share the gospel with people in these moments? Here's quickly, here's some five suggestions. As MLK reminded us, do good work as a believer. Whatever you're doing, whatever you're doing, volunteering, do it to the best of our ability. Build a reputation as a person who works with purpose, creativity, kindness. And then when we do get to share the gospel, people will see us reflecting the character of the king. Boy, he doesn't, he's no slacker, this guy. What's he all about? Maybe God will give us an opportunity. Listen to this quote from Dorothy Sayers. Work is not primarily the thing one does to live, but rather what one lives to do. The only Christian work is good work done well. Then we learn to put God on the table. In, in natural settings, don't be afraid to let folks, let your light shine. Don't be afraid. Don't be intimidated and tell people ways that God has impacted your life. When somebody asks, well, what did you do on the weekend? Well, we went to church. We have a fellowship and blah, 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 blah. Tell them what that's like. They're hungry. You know, the fact is people are much, much more open in many ways because of what we've been through to the meaning of life and purpose than we sometimes understand. Think about this. Maybe God has placed you in your setting, wherever God has you during the week, to hit us, you know, connect with some sort of subculture group. Maybe you're the only one that can actually reach those folks. I don't know. But ask God to show you, as, uh, as Amy prayed this morning and challenged us, share things about yourself. Don't be afraid to talk about your struggles. Listen to them. 
Don't try to be a fixer. Just listen, empathic listening. We need that so desperately today. Then, finally, use the witness of the congregation. When you're building relationships, don't be afraid to invite them into the activities that you have one with another. People are hungry for this. I'm seeing this. I'm in contact with people all over the United States and, and listening to stuff that's going on, and people are so hungry. Folks, we have a hinge moment in the history of our world, in the history of, at least in my lifetime, we've never, and like the old 60s song, we shall never pass this way again. And God desires to use us and use the testimony of the church and use the fellowship that you have. People are hungry. They want to see love people loving one another and caring. And, and it can raise all kinds of, of, of questions in people's mind. Uh, one, one challenge that I often give churches is this. And this isn't meant to be a guilt trip, but let me ask you sincerely. And I've asked about sitting down with the session, and I've talked to the folks at Rice for another. What difference would it make in this valley if we drove up here tomorrow and this church didn't exist? It was gone. We had to close. Would anybody miss us? Would they be saying something like, oh, yeah, those people over there, wait a minute, wasn't there a church there? What, wait, on the corner, you know where I'm talking or would they say, you know, I don't, I don't know about that Jesus stuff, but those folks, what was it called, Valley Help? They pressed so much value into our community, we are hosed because they're not here anymore. What are they saying about us? I'm just throwing it out there. So as we close, this is what I want to leave us with. As followers of Christ, it is important, it's vital that we see our lives through this lens of God's big story Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And within that, we need to make sure we are embracing a biblical understanding of work that compels us, that motivates us throughout our lives to faithfully co-labor alongside God and with each other, wherever we are, with whatever we have, whenever, to contribute to the flourishing and well-being of others and provide a foretaste of the coming kingdom. Lord, take your word, apply it to our lives. I present these precious brothers and sisters to you. Lord, meet us where we are. Get us where we need to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Right at this time, if you have children that are, have been in Sunday school, uh, this is your time to go grab them and be out in the lobby. They're out in the lobby waiting for you. We're going to continue worshiping, and uh, feel free to grab your, your children or stand and sing with us.
So we come to the time where we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And uh, it's a special time. Um, I'll share briefly the passage that we're probably familiar with. But before we do, we want to start with our, our prayer of confession. We want to come before the Lord with humble hearts. So let's read together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you. Just as a reminder, the Lord's Supper is an act of worship. It's a ceremonial meal. We're familiar with this, in which Christ's servants come, and we share bread and wine to, to remember Christ's death. This is what Paul said. For I received from the Lord that which I delivered unto you, but the Lord Jesus, on the same night that he was betrayed, he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take and eat. This is my body that is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So, we're going to be, is the session how, how will we, oh. do we just come forward? How do we, yeah, I'm sorry. No, that's why I just wanted to make sure I'm on the same page. So, is as our custom to come forward then?
we're going to sing one last song together. This is our sending song and uh, embracing our new identity as Pink Spoons. Uh, when to take that posture, this song is Christ Be Magnified. We're leaving these walls, this building, um, to enter a world that, that needs us to be Pink Spoons. Second Corinthians, Paul says in Second Corinthians chapter 2 that we're the aroma of Christ. We're the fragrance of the Almighty. We're his smell, we're his taste, and we're not called to be stinky cheese or uh, bitter lemons or sour lemons or bitter herbs. We're called to be that aroma that we catch when we walk by Kilwins. You know what I'm saying? Like that, that fragrance. When you walk by a steakhouse or something, we're just like, man, what is that? That's what we're called to be. That's the aroma we're called to, and to magnify our God. Let's sing this song together. Let's take this out. Let's impact our valley. And we're creation suddenly articulate with a thousand songs to lift one cry. Then from north to south. And east to west, we hear Christ be magnified. Yeah, where the whole earth echoing is eminent. Oh, his name would burst from sea and sky. And from
the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant make you make us perfect in every work to do his world will working in us that which is well pleasing in his sight through Christ Jesus our Lord to whom glory and honor pertain and belong forever and ever and all God's people said